Hey detective, welcome to the Nancy Drew Rendezvous, a podcast where we take a chronological look at all the books in the Nancy Drew file series. I'm your host Teagues and today's book is case number 27, Most Likely to Die. Oh boy, it feels like I haven't recorded in forever, which technically I haven't. I haven't recorded since October and it is now December 24th. I managed to bulk record a bunch of episodes and took a couple of months off recording and now I'm back into it and I have to hope that, you know, I haven't lost too much of my skill, I guess. Also, fun fact, uh, today is December 24th, like I just said, and on December 24th, 2019, was the day that I recorded my very first episode. So I guess, yay, happy birthday to the Nancy Drew Rendezvous podcast. We've reached one. Wow, that's so crazy. Uh, I just want to wish you all, everyone, a happy holidays and let's get straight into the book. Okay, Most Likely to Die came out in September 1988 and some notable events of September 1988 include the Museum of the Moving Image opening in London, the 24th Olympic Games opened in Seoul, South Korea, New York City's Rockefeller Center was declared a national landmark. I wonder if we're going to see the Rockefeller Center in any future books. Uh, Gorillas in the Mist was one of the popular movies. And Guns N' Roses, Sweet Child of Mine was number one on the American Billboard charts. And like always, we're going to get into the cover discussion. Okay, so we have a doll with a knife. Or is it a doll? Hang on. Yeah, it's a doll. We have a doll with a knife through its chest, which is very, very sinister. Uh, We have in the middle, like the usual attractive man. This man doesn't look too attractive. I have no idea who it could be. It might be Don, who is in the book, who is actually Nancy's ex-boyfriend. Regardless, he's wearing like a sports coat and linen pants and a proper tie and looks about 40 years old. So it could also be Carson. And in the front, we have Nancy looking like a 40-year-old woman. She's got like a very, very 80s-style haircut. She's wearing a yellow linen shirt with her sunglasses, which are aviators, like tucked into the where you button it up. She's wearing a tan belt with mid-length pink shorts. And yeah, she just... Nancy, oh, like sometimes on the cover, Nancy looks like a young woman, but this time she just looks way older than her 18 years of age. And I don't know if teenagers dressed like that in the 80s. I feel like they wouldn't have. And they definitely didn't dress like that in the early 90s because I was alive then. Well, (laughs) I was like a teenager then. And yeah, that definitely didn't happen. I don't know. I really don't like the cover of this book. Yeah, the doll with the knife through its chest is kind of, you know, weird and cool. But at the same time, this 40-year-old looking man and 40-year-old looking woman on the cover doesn't feel very cool for a teenager or young person to read. But maybe that's just me thinking I'm too cool for school. Anyway, at the end of the last book, Uh, episode rather, I mentioned that the title of this book sounded like a superlative and bam, right from the start, they are talking about their high school days. 
I always associate superlatives and high school because I consume so many American movies and TV shows um, which use superlatives. And we definitely didn't award superlatives in my high school in Australia. Did you do it in any of other countries? I know I've got listeners from all over the world. So detectives, let me know. Did your high school award superlatives? Anyway, the crew have been invited to a party touted as like a mini high school reunion. Bess is worried. She wants to look her best and is wearing baggy white pants and a white and turquoise striped shirt. I know for a fact that my mum had that exact outfit in the 80s because uh, there's photos of me and her on holidays and she's wearing that exact same outfit and I'm Imagine she had the same 80s style hair that Bess did because my mum was also blonde back then. Bess's main worry? She wants all the guys to think she's gotten even more gorgeous since high school. Oh, Bess, 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 your value isn't based on what men think of you. I wonder if they remade this series today, if Bess would be more woke and just be like a strong, independent woman that wasn't trying to impress men all the time. It would be really interesting. Maybe maybe I should write some Nancy Drew in like 2020 fan fiction or something. (laughs) Anyway, um, they also mentioned that Ned didn't go to River Heights High, which I always thought he did. What high school did Ned go to? Because... I remember in previous books, uh, it was said that Nancy and Ned, like they were a River Heights like institution, like a super couple. But I guess he didn't have to go to River Heights High to be her boyfriend. But yeah, that kind of threw me off. Anyway, it's also Labor Day weekend. So we're in summer in this book. Anyway, the person hosting the reunion is Wendy Harriman, and it's being held at her parents' house on Sprucewood Lake. I don't believe we've come across this place in the books before, and from my quick Google search, it doesn't appear to be a real place. Bessie is really anxious about seeing Wendy because Wendy was just so perfect in high school, and Bess is worried that she'll still be this perfect girl now. It's weird to see Bess compete with people. I feel as though Bess would have been best friends with this girl or at least really, really good friends with Wendy because they were both, you know, cute and popular blonde girls. George isn't a big fan of Wendy because George felt that Wendy treated her weirdly because George played sports. And Nancy just put down Wendy's cattiness due to her being insecure, which is probably the most correct answer. I'm guessing we're going to also find that Wendy's life isn't as perfect as they think it is. That seems to be a a running theme. Mean bullies and whatnot, you know, have a bad life at home or they're very insecure and they take it out on other people but on the from like the outside they just seem to have the most perfect life they arrive at the party and wendy is the same as usual she calls george the jock and tells ned that he's got some competition what's that supposed to mean Oh, there's this hilarious thing that happens in the book. The book says Ned describes Wendy as a cola commercial. What does that even mean? Wasn't Coke using polar bears back then to advertise? Like, was a cola commercial full of, like, young, pretty blonde things? Or was that, like, more in the 50s? That's how I imagine Coke to be advertising then. 
But we actually get a real description of Wendy rather than the cola commercial description. And she's described as being the cutest girl in the class with auburn hair, freckles and sparkling green eyes. Why can't anyone just have normal eyes? Why does everyone have sparkling eyes? Also, I said that earlier, like five minutes ago, that I figured that Bess and Wendy would be friends because they're both blonde. For some reason, I just assumed that Wendy was blonde, but no, she has auburn hair. We're also introduced to the party goers and ex-classmates. So we have Patrick Emmons. He was the most gorgeous and popular boy at River Heights High. He and Wendy dated because of course they did. This is such a typical high school trope. He was good at everything. He was captain of the football team, head of the student council, and he did volunteering. Now he's at an Ivy League school on the East Coast and plays on the varsity team. Wow, what a high achiever. There is also a girl called Laurie who we don't get told much about except that she's pudgy. Not even going there. Like this Laurie woman has uh, like, this is like the only line in pretty much the entire book. I don't know why they needed to add this in or mention her weight. We also have Monica Beckwith. She's the actress of the school. She's blonde with violet eyes, which... I assume means a purple tinged blue because I've never met anyone with purple eyes. We also have Cecilia Quaid. She's firstly unrecognizable, but she's described as being beautiful with long black hair and black eyelashes. She's lost 60 pounds since high school, but acts weird about it when people ask her. And next is Nancy's high school boyfriend. Again, I thought she was always with Ned. I feel like my mind keeps getting blown in this book. He too is a star athlete, but never gave Nancy butterflies. So she ended it with him, which is good. So many people stay in relationships when they are young because they feel obligated to. And Nancy's just like, yeah, nah, not feeling it. Bye. (laughs) And lastly, we have Judd Red. He was the high school greaser who's grown up to be a more elegant man. Wendy isn't happy that Judd's at the party, but he claims that he has cleaned up his act. So Patrick decides to start grilling some hamburgers on the barbecue. However, it goes up in flames. Thankfully, he's okay, but it turns out someone had replaced the charcoal starter with gasoline. But why? To play a trick? Or maybe Wendy's family just needed a container and it's not a sinister at all. They just, you know, swap some containers around. While Patrick goes and cleans himself up, Ned takes over cooking and they joke that he burns everything when he grills, which it's true. He burnt the chicken on the grill in Recipe for Murder. That's why they took the cooking class in the first place. Nancy and Bess head inside to get changed. Um, The house sounds absolutely gorgeous. They describe the dressing room as follows. They enter a huge dressing room on the first floor, a mirror complete with makeup lights covered one entire wall. There was a mahogany wardrobe filled with brass clothes hangers against another wall and a blue flowered chinchaise lounge stood ready for the guests who might feel like lying down. On a table under the window was a huge stack of fluffy beach towels and next to them were all kind of suntan lotions and sunscreens. This actually sounds more like a resort. Nancy and Bess, while getting changed, complain about how catty Wendy is being and then Cecilia overhears them and simply says, I won't say anything, people like that always end up getting what they deserve anyway. So Cecilia's acting really weird. 
They head out to the lake to take a swim and reminisce about high school. And then someone pulls out the yearbook and Nancy asks Wendy if she still has the necklace that she's wearing in one of the photos. Wendy thought that she was wearing it but isn't. So she heads up to her room to grab it only to be confronted by a doll dressed in a cheerleader's costume with a large butcher knife through its chest. What? Okay, that's creepy. Also, the second time something like this has happened, remember the effigy in an Emerson basketball jersey hanging from the basketball ring via a noose? I wonder what this doll is all about. Also, how big is this doll? In my head, I imagined it a life-size doll, but judging by the cover of the book, it looks more like a Barbie doll. There is also a note with the doll. Greetings to the most self-centered brat at River Heights High. Wish this doll were you. Oof, somebody at the party does not like Wendy. My first guess is Celia, but it could be Bess. Bess really seems not to like Wendy. Monica hasn't really been in the book, and we don't know if Patrick has hard feelings towards her because of the breakup. And Judge may be the school bad guy, but he's still a bad guy. So whoever left the note also stole a bunch of Wendy's things her cassette player, a mini TV, and all of her jewelry. I guess whoever it was really wanted to hurt Wendy. Also, how can you just like take out a mini TV and a cassette player um, out from someone's house without somebody noticing, especially when you're having a party, unless, you know, they had the cassette player and someone saw them and was like, oh, no, I'm just taking this out to the lake. Wouldn't it need power? I don't know. It could have been one of those boom boxes. Anyway, I digress. The police arrive and check out the room. They believe it's a standard break and enter due to the ladder marks near the window and traces of makeup on the windowsill. Nancy tells the cops about the starter issue and they said someone probably just filled the bottle with it trying to kill Poison Ivy. I love how the police in these books just dismiss everything. I guess it's a good thing though. It gives Nancy work to do and then she can flex once she solves yet another case that the cops couldn't. Nancy and the crew get straight on the case. Ned finds a letter, but it doesn't look like it was used. Bess and George peek inside cars, but don't find the missing goods. However, Nancy learns from Monica that Cecilia left a nasty note, which they actually referred to as a poison pen, which I'd never heard of. So I guess a poison pen is like a a nasty note. Uh, And because Wendy had a go at Cecilia, causing her to miss a week of school. So I guess, yeah, Wendy just really bullied uh, Celia or Cecilia. I can't remember which one it was, but Celia or Cecilia. Um, I am a bit dyslexic, so I do get like a lot of words mixed up. And now I don't have the book in front of me. It's at work and I can't double check. They seem to really be pointing everything at Cecilia being responsible for, for all the issues in this book. And it turns out that she also conveniently left before the police arrived. So this doesn't look good for Cecilia or Celia. <laughs> the crew go home. Don warns Nancy to stay off the case. Why do people always do this? Like Don is Nancy's ex-boyfriend and he should know better. Like Nancy was solving cases even when she was a little tiny tot, as we've seen in Nancy Drew and the Clue Crew books. But yeah, that just surprises me. Come on, Don, you know better why you're warning Nancy off this case. Nancy opens the door to Ned's car and a swarm of hornets fly out. Someone had put a hornet's nest in the car along with a note, which, by the way, was cut out of newspaper headlines that said, Still a snoop, aren't you? 
Don't stir things up or this is only the beginning. First of all, hornets, really? Let's keep an eye for something that may be related to someone being good with insects, like throughout this book. And second of all, who on earth at the party had time to sit down with a newspaper and create this note? This book is wild. I'm loving it so far. And next up, we have the usual scene of Carson telling Nancy to be careful. He's out of town this weekend, so if anything happens, he can't be there. Neither can Hannah, because Hannah is in Buffalo helping a friend with a broken hip. Hannah has such a busy social life. And again, the book goes on to explain who Hannah is and how she's like a mother to Nancy, which happens in every single book. So getting straight onto the case, Nancy visits Wendy at her River Heights home the next day, which is actually a really fancy mansion. It feels like everyone in River Heights has a really fancy huge mansion. I really want to see the inside of Nancy's house. I'll probably call her house a mansion myself, but it seems like hers is a more modest house and all of her friends and everybody else in the book has these huge mansions. Nancy starts with her usual, is there anyone you know that doesn't like you question? And Wendy said, people are jealous of her, but no one actively dislikes her. We learned that her boyfriend Rod is out of town doing a show in Philadelphia. Nancy asks if he's an actor and Wendy weirdly says yes. And then when asked about Celia, she replies with, all right, I admit I wasn't the most nicest to her in high school, but she deserved it. You remember what she looked like back then. It drives me crazy when people don't even try to get in shape. That is so rude. Wendy must be really hurt or insecure inside to judge someone based on their weight. No wonder Celia changed so much if she was getting treated like that. But still, that's so mean. Like Everyone should just love themselves, okay? Everyone love yourself. You deserve it. Give yourself a hug. Wendy then goes on to explain that Celia always wanted Patrick and that she was upset when Patrick left her. We also learned that her parents are in Europe. I don't know if that's going to be relevant at any point in time, but I thought I'd mention it. Nancy leaves Wendy's house, but shortly after, Wendy is banging on Nancy's door. Someone had left a yearbook on her door with a most likely to die underneath Wendy's photo. Well, there you go. There's a superlative. <laughs> Another note made out of cut-out newspapers also arrived. You'll never steal the scene again. Could this be an acting reference? It seems to be the second reference to acting. Remember, Monica is also an actor, and when asked about... Wendy's boyfriend, Rod, she said that he was an actor as well. There are also more notes throughout the book, all directed at Wendy. We also learned that there was some drama at the school musical. Basically, it was Monica's last day of her high school career and she had the starring role, high school acting career, I should say. Wendy also had a small part in the play. So I will quote the situation as it happened. But no one would have guessed that it was a small part by the way she hammed it up. The audience had been packed with Wendy's friends, and by the second act they were applauding wildly whenever Nancy, Wendy rather, came on stage. Someone had been playing tricks on the cast that night, and Monica had borne the brunt of them. A door on the set had crashed onto the floor where she'd touched its knob. The tea she was supposed to drink on stage had been salted. Worst of all, someone had cracked a raw egg into the pocket of a coat Monica was supposed to wear on stage. Monica hadn't noticed until she reached into the coat pocket. When she'd felt the egg, she'd screamed, burst into the tears, and rushed off stage. 
her understudy had to finish the play. They never had found out who played all these tricks, but Nancy was starting to have a really good idea now. I was there that night, Nancy said aloud. It was horrible for Monica. We have to admit it was funny, Nancy said, trying not to smile at the memory. It might have been funny to you, but that was Monica's last school play. Can you imagine how she must have felt? Nancy protested. Were you the one that played all these tricks, Wendy? Yes, it was Wendy and Patrick who played the tricks. Man, I hate these two already. Well, I don't hate them. I don't hate anyone, but oh, they drive me nuts. I honestly don't blame Monica if she, in fact, is the one that's threatening Wendy. Nancy and Wendy discuss this, and now Wendy's convinced that it's Monica. Patrick calls to help with the case and Nancy says that she will let him know if she needs his help. He speaks to Wendy and turns down a lunch invite. Nancy goes to visit Monica and even though I said before it seems like everyone is loaded, Monica isn't loaded and she lives in what is described as a modest house. Nancy is worried that Monica is threatening someone with a gun, but it's all okay. Monica is just watching one of her screen tests on her VCR. Nancy always goes, you know, for the worst case scenario. Like, yeah, maybe she's just watching a movie, but I guess she did hear Monica's voice like threatening people. They head to Monica's room and chat. It's filled with photos of herself. I hope her parents put them there as like type of a shrine thing to their daughter while she's away in New York City. And it's not the fact that Monica is so conceited. She's just got photos of herself all over the room. They actually mention that like the walls are plastered with photos of her. And I think that's a bit bizarre. Nancy asks Monica for her yearbook, but Monica tells her that it's in New York City. Um, and when Nancy shows Monica the tattered yearbook that Wendy had received with all the notes, Monica denies that she wrote the notes. And then we learn some juicy goss. Let me pour the tea. It turns out that Wendy stole Monica's boyfriend. Rod was with Monica first. Monica had met him nearby to River Heights and after introducing him to Wendy, she just latched onto him. With Monica being in New York all the time, he left her and went with Wendy and Monica was heartbroken. I was wondering why, if Monica hated Wendy so much, why did she go to the party? It turns out it was because she knew Rod wasn't going to be there because she saw in the paper that he had a show out of town. Nancy doesn't question if the show is in Philadelphia or or not, although I feel like she should have because it seems like a big important clue. Also, Monica is an actress, so she could also be making all this up. Monica asks Nancy for a lift downtown to go pick up her car from the shop, but before they leave, Wendy calls insisting Nancy comes to her. Like, she's so bossy, this Wendy lady. Turns out Wendy's parents' house has also been robbed. CD players, TVs, and VCRs are all missing. The cops are called, and Nancy leaves them to sort it out, not really doing any detective work, which is strange. Usually Nancy would be with her little, like, fingerprint kit, but nah, she's like, ah, the cops can deal with it. Monica then claims that she left something at home and they head back to find her house has been unlocked despite knowing that she locked it when she left. Monica's TV and VCR has also been stolen and her screen test video was destroyed with the tape spread all about Monica's bedroom. Do they still use those tape these days? I think they actually might. Gosh, it was such a 
pain using tapes, like having to rewind. And then if you wanted to destroy it, you just like flip up the back of the VCR and then like uh, the VCR tape rather, the VHS, <laughs> and then pull the ribbon out. And oh, sometimes I miss these things. Sometimes I don't. Like technology is good and technology is also really bad. As well as stealing all these items, someone has also scribbled all over the photos of Monica with terrible messages. You know what? This person would have to know both Monica and Wendy's house in order to do these robberies so quickly. Could it be the boyfriend, Rod, because he would know both of their houses? Was he really out of town? Hmm, seems a bit suspicious. Again, another note in the same newspaper cutout style as the last one, this one reading, don't waste your time. You couldn't act your way into a used car commercial. <laughs> That's <laughs> what type of insult is that? Is it really bad to be in a news a used car commercial? <laughs> like <laughs> this book is crazy. Anyway, it turns out Silly had said the exact same thing to Monica in high school. So Wendy and Monica are now convinced that Cecilia is the one responsible for this. Uh, now we have to go speak to Celia and see what's up. Monica tells Nancy she no longer needs the lift downtown, which is weird. Doesn't she need to go pick up her car? Something isn't adding up here. Nancy organizes best to meet her at Cecilia's apartment. Best complains about lunch and how she's hungry, so I guess that we can tick that off the things that definitely happen in each Nancy Drew book list. Nancy heads out on a walk and bumps into Don who has the audacity to ask her out to see if they could try again. She says no and explains that she loves Ned and Don insists. Thankfully Patrick arrives and interrupts the conversation. All these random encounters are so weird. Also I hate Don. I'm glad Nancy dumped him and Ned is a heaps better choice. At Celia's, Celia is cold towards Bess and Nancy. After Bess has a sneezing fit due to the oil-based paint Cecilia is using, which I never knew that could cause sneezing, the more you know, they decide to go for a walk. Celia doesn't care that Monica and Wendy got robbed and refuse to talk about high school. When Nancy tells Celia that she's the prime suspect, Cecilia says she doesn't care about Wendy and Monica and she wants to forget about high school. The only reason she went to the party was to show off how hot she got and how much weight she lost. I'll do the same, to be honest. Seems like everyone just wants to keep up appearances and no one really likes Wendy and that's why they went to this party, just to like, you know, suss out how everyone else from high school is going. Bess heads off and Nancy and Cecilia return to Cecilia's and Cecilia continues to paint. When Celia climbs onto the ladder, she falls and the ladder falls on top of her. It looks like Celia has broken her arm. Nancy looks at the ladder. The top rung has been sawed right through and there's a note. You see, the note jeered, you're the same fat loser you always were. Celia tells Nancy it could only be from Judd Reese. He always called her a fat loser back in high school. This book is making me so glad I'm not in high school. I was bullied a bit for being a nerd and it was terrible. High school sucks. Nancy talks to the police. Celia is staying overnight in hospital and there is no sign of stolen goods. They make a comment if it wasn't for the notes, they would think that they were dealing with a pro. Also, I'd forgotten all about Judd. He's hardly been in this book. That night, Ned and Nancy go on a date to the movies. I wonder what they saw. Maybe gorillas in the mist. It seems like something they would both enjoy. 
The next day, it's time to visit Judd. Judd works at a garage on Church Street called a Church Street Garage. The business is next door to a record store blasting large music. I wonder if it was the same garage Monica was going to pick her car up from. On the way to Judd's office, Nancy notices Patrick's Corvette being there and Judd tells her that despite it being new, the brakes were shot. Could our culprit be targeting Patrick too now? Nancy didn't associate much with Judd in high school, but she thinks he's a nice guy now. When she asked him about Cecilia and how he called her fat, he said, yes, but so did a lot of people. I'm probably the only one that feels bad about it now. Nancy gets straight to the point and asks him where he was the previous afternoon. He gets mad about it, saying that he can't shake his high school reputation despite him having a full-time job now and even taking college classes. He says he didn't do anything, however, Wendy deserves it because she bullied him in high school after she found out that he had a crush on her. He gets even madder when Nancy asks him again where he was. The music from the store next door gets louder and this gets Judd even more angry and he storms out. Nancy uses this opportunity being alone in his office to sneak around and finds the wastebasket full of newspapers with the headlines cut out. Okay, this doesn't make Judd guilty. We know Patrick was at the garage and possibly Monica too, since she asked Nancy for the lift, so they could have put the newspapers in the waste basket. Judd is now Nancy's main suspect, and since Patrick's car is at the garage, she's worried Judd could do something to put Patrick in danger. She calls Patrick and he tells her that the car is just in for its 1,000-mile service. Wait a minute, Judd said the brakes would shot. Why would he lie? I guess maybe being the greaser and punk people had it in for him and he's paying them back. High school kids can be so mean. Next, Nancy meets up with Patrick at a place called Pete's. It's a cafe near River Heights High School and they order onion rings and fries. The onion rings were really popular in high school, so they order the onion rings for nostalgia's sake. Uh, The cafe was also super popular when they were in high school, but being back there now feels less than ideal and that it smells just of deep fryer fat. Nancy tells Patrick about the brakes in his car and then fills him in on all the accidents and robberies. And despite all the evidence, Patrick venomously says that it's not Judd and claims it could be Don behind it all. Whoa, this case feels like a game of telephone. Everyone's blaming everybody else. Nancy doesn't think it's possible, but there is too much circumstantial evidence. Don was near Nancy's car before the Ohana incident happened. He was near Monica's house just before it got robbed. Well, so were you, Patrick. Actually, no, wait. Patrick and Don were near Celia's house, but Celia's house didn't get robbed. But maybe he cut the ladder? I don't know. It really seems weird and not possible. But however, now Don is trying to break into Nancy's car. However, it's nothing malicious. He was simply trying to leave a note again, asking Nancy to give him another chance. Man, this guy doesn't give up. Get the message, Don. She's not into you. However, maybe he's doing this because he knows Nancy can't help but solve a mystery and it's a reason to get close to her. But then why did he warn her to stay away? Ugh, I don't like this Don guy either. I don't like any of these people in this book. Nancy actually finally agrees to a date with Don, not because she feels forced into it, but if Don is really behind all of this, she can get to know him more and keep an eye on him. 
Don suggests a fancy restaurant downtown at the top of the Hargrove building, but Nancy wants somewhere public and suggests an old amusement park they used to go to when they were dating. Nancy is unable to get in contact with Ned to tell him about the date. Ah, the days without cell phones. I guess leaving a message with his parents would be weird. Oh, can you tell Ned I'm on a date with my ex? (laughs) Yeah, I don't think that would have gone smoothly. As luck would have it, Ned rocks up to Nancy's place just as Don does. He's furious and rightly so. He angrily storms out and drives his car aggressively away. Careful, Ned, don't let your anger hurt other people. Drive safely. Unfortunately, the amusement park isn't a good place to chat, but Nancy figures the tunnel of love will be quiet and a good place to talk. (laughs) And then I absolutely love this quote from the book. Nancy looked down at the water in the tunnel and shuddered. It was green and slimy and cigarette butts were floating by. Boy, I'll go to any length to solve a case, she thought to herself. Oh, come on, Nancy. It's not like you're swimming in it. Except after she confronts Don, that's exactly what happened. He's furious that she'll suggest that he was behind everything and they both stand up in the boat, causing Nancy to fall in the water. Oh gosh, she'll need a tetanus shot or something after that. I don't know if uh, slimy water is bad for you. I can only assume it is. Don jumps in after her and a dude on the boat starts bellowing. Lovers overboard, drowned in the name of love. (laughs) I love this bit of comic relief in the book. They manage to finally get out of the water to a crowd of people gasping and laughing. Don gets in an argument with the dude running the ride who claims that Nancy won't get sick because the water is so clean you can drink it. Yeah, okay, mate. So clean you can drink the water. Why don't you have some of the water? I actually love this whole like scene. It was really funny and like it was just a bit of joy. I actually I actually laughed out loud in a Nancy Drew book. <laughs> Nancy and Don get back into her car and they laugh and Nancy apologizes for even thinking Don was behind it. He makes jokes about the next date being at the Pizza Palace. I think the Pizza Palace is the most mentioned place in this book after the usual places. It's the third book it's been mentioned in. Uh, Previously, it was featured in Trial by Fire and Very Deadly Yours. Back in the car, Don tells her he has an alibi and that when he saw her yesterday, it was the only time he had left the house. He was helping his dad with computer stuff. Yeah, all right, Don, I don't buy that one, but Nancy buys it. So Don is no longer a suspect and I'm surprised Nancy let it slide so easily. Sometimes she really is daft. Honestly, I don't know. Let's think about this case. They all have reasons to want to hurt Wendy. However, Celia had a crush on Patrick and Patrick was the one that got burned at the start. Did he bully her too? Maybe Celia wants to get back at both of them. Seems like a good enough motive. Is she crazy enough to cause her own arms to break though? Also, the timing is weird. She just happens to fall off a ladder when Nancy was there. Uh, Monica, again, she was bullied. Wendy ruined her final high school musical and stole her current boyfriend. As for Judd, he was also bullied by Wendy and maybe he was jealous of Patrick and was planning on doing something to the car. Maybe that's why he said the brakes were already ruined. So if there was an issue with the brakes and anything happened, he could have just said, oh, I guess I didn't fix them properly or something like that. Uh, Don, yeah, no, I don't think he's behind it. He just seems annoying. I might take Nancy's side on this. And Patrick, if it was Patrick, we don't have a motive yet. Maybe it was the fact that Wendy had left him and he's never forgiven himself. I can't, what is Patrick doing now? Oh yeah, he plays football at a livey 
an Ivy League school and he's a great student. So yeah, he should just be fine. Nancy stops by her house before taking Don home and Ned is there furious and not willing to listen to Nancy when she says they were not on a date. He eventually understands and apologizes for going overboard and they laugh a joke about how it was Nancy and Don that went overboard, not Ned. (laughs) What a cute reference. They take Don home, but when they pull up, they realize that there's an intruder in the house. They hear what they believe to be a backdoor slam, and Ned and Don go and trace chase down the intruder. Nancy starts to walk inside the house. However, Patrick appears behind her with a blood nose and torn shirt. He was knocked down and had the wind taken out of him by some guy who was running. Nancy calls out to Don and Ned, and they head down the street to try and find him. Nancy and Patrick walk inside. The house wasn't robbed, but someone has trashed Dan's room, Don's room rather. Everything is destroyed, including his trophies, and Nancy feels awful for accusing Don as being responsible. All right, it has to be Patrick. He hasn't been targeted yet, but why? His life and high school appearances seem so perfect. Like, wouldn't he be like the one to be targeted as well? Nancy gets around to asking Patrick if he got a look at the guy who knocked him down. Of course he didn't, but he did see that the person was wearing a leather jacket. Nancy begins to suspect Judd again. Nancy and Ned have their typical flirty moments and he kisses her and jokes that he thinks he'll be safe from a thyroid fever. I think that's a bold assumption, Ned. I would be surprised if Nancy doesn't get sick from this, like, slimy water incident nancy showers and washes her hair three times three times what i've heard of people shampooing twice but three seems excessive i also think two is a bit weird but each person to their own nancy falls asleep but is woken up by a phone call i legit thought the book was going to say a noise and that there was an intruder carson and hannah are both out of town so it would be a perfect opportunity to strike It's Wendy calling and she's terrified. Nancy, he's found me and he's going to kill me. Okay, buckle in detectives, we're about to find out the culprit. I guess Nancy couldn't solve this one on her own. Dun dun. I don't know, I still think Nancy may be able to solve the case without the culprit being handed to her. It turns out that Wendy has just been receiving scary phone calls from who sounds like a man. Nancy rushes over and tells Wendy only to answer the door if she hears a special knocking pattern. That's so smart. I guess these days you'll just be like, I'm at your front door, open up, texts instead of doing special knocking patterns. Does anyone else get nervous knocking on people's doors? I do, especially when they live with housemates or if it's the first time I've visited. I'm always scared that I might have got the wrong house. Anyway, shortly after arriving at 1.30am, the phone rings and Nancy answers it. A horrible, distorted, cackling voice says, You better get out of there if you know what's good for you, Nancy Drew. Nancy recognises the background sounds as the music playing from the record store next to the Church Street garage. The only place that would be playing that music at that time of night. Okay, I think this must have been a thing in the 80s and 90s for record stores to be open super late. I feel like the store in Empire Records was open all night, but I might be wrong. Great movie, by the way. I can't wait for the Broadway show. Nancy decides to head over to the garage. She calls Bess and Ned and George at 2am to wake them up to come as reinforcements. Gosh, she has the bestest friends. I wish I had friends like that. The crew arrive and the record store has finally closed and turned off their music. Bess, Ned and George take cover at the exit 
lights in case Judd escapes and Nancy and Wendy go inside. The garage is open and somewhat calm. There is water and blood in the employee's bathroom and then suddenly Wendy screams. There is a workspace and Judd is unconscious looking as though someone had hit him over the head. Nancy calls the ambulances and she's worried. After being told it looks like he's been knocked out over an hour ago, she figures it wasn't Judd that made the calls. Now that Judd is safely in in the hands of the ambulance people and... Judd's parents have been informed, Nancy and Wendy drive back to Nancy's. Wendy feels awful and Nancy is glad this case has one positive, making Wendy a little nicer. Oh, thank goodness for that. Back at Nancy's, Wendy and Nancy instantly fall asleep only to be woken up by another phone call. This time it's Patrick. He was whispering tensely, there's someone outside my house. I can hear him and I think I know who it is. Wait, wait, he's coming in. Suddenly, Nancy heard a terrible crash and then a moan of pain. Nancy tries to wake up Wendy to no avail and rushes over to Patrick's place. Why didn't she call the police first? This sounds dangerous. She told Wendy to call the police before she went over, but she didn't tell Patrick to. I guess he didn't have a chance, but Nancy has the chance to? Anyway, she rushes over to Patrick's house, but it's quiet. She wakes up his parents who claim not to have heard anything. Then they check out Patrick's room and it's also trashed, just like Don's. However, this time the trophies were not touched. Patrick did say he was calling from home when he called Nancy, but his parents didn't hear a thing and they said Patrick told them that he was going for a drive and they went to bed before he returned. Interesting, that means Patrick doesn't have an alibi for when Judd was attacked. His parents also mentioned that he doesn't have his expensive stuff because he sold it when he came back here. Turns out that he was expelled from college and cut from the football team. He's been lying to everyone. I mean, sure it's embarrassing, but still. Nancy believes that this is more than enough motive. Patrick is jealous of everyone because they are more successful than him and they deserve to suffer. Okay, that's not cool, dude. You really need to work on some self-acceptance. So let's see, has everyone been more successful than Patrick? Monica with her budding acting career, Cecilia who made herself beautiful, Judd who was finally turning his life around, Don who was working hard at college in a way Patrick obviously hadn't, and Wendy, his old girlfriend who'd found a new boyfriend and managed perfectly well without Patrick. Poor Bess and George, I guess Patrick doesn't see them as successful enough to warrant anything sinister happening to them, and Nancy for that fact. But where is he now? Maybe he lured Nancy out of her house, maybe to get Nancy, I mean Wendy, all alone. This is what Nancy thinks seems weird though. How did he know Wendy went back to sleep and didn't come? Okay, yeah, whatever, I guess we'll find out. I'm really not surprised it's Patrick, but why did he almost burn himself? Maybe that was a real accident? Nancy apologizes for waking up Patrick's parents and rushes back to her house. I can just imagine Patrick's parents standing there in dressing gowns muttering to themselves about that weird girl. It's like, that Nancy Drew, what is she doing? (laughs) Nancy rushes home and finds Wendy on the couch watching TV and breathes with relief. However, the relief is short-lived. Wendy is actually tied up. Patrick had told Wendy to get comfortable and relax so Nancy wouldn't be scared to go inside the house. Patrick greets them with a clothesline and a pistol. How do these kids get a hold of a weapon is my question. (laughs) Did he just like, you know, grab it out of his dad's like mantle thing, you know, where they keep 
guns. I don't even know where people keep guns. <laughs> He's mad. He's mad that Wendy didn't pay him enough attention in high school, causing him to dump her. He's also mad that no one told him college would be hard and that his football coach should have let him play more because he got kicked out of the team. It caused him to get in trouble with the other unspecified things. Hmm, Patrick is all like, oh, woe is me. College is hard. I didn't get to play football enough. Anyway, this guy likes to place blame on everyone but himself for his shortcomings. They are the worst type of people. Just take responsibility for your actions, Patrick. Only you are responsible for what happens to you and how you react to it. Patrick ties up both girls and Patrick casually says, okay, bye. Oh, I'm off. By the way, I'm going to burn your house down. (laughs) Maybe that's what the gasoline in the starter bottle was for at the beginning of the book. I don't know. Maybe he'd planned to burn down Wendy's house, but he didn't get the chance. I doubt there would have been enough gasoline anyway. Nancy manages to untie herself, but can't get Wendy fully untied. Patrick couldn't find anything to start a fire in the garage, so comes back and says that he'll just shoot the two instead. The girls run to Nancy's room and lock themselves inside. Nancy's scissor kicks Patrick when he tries to break in, and then the police arrive. That was the most anticlimactic ending ever it lasted like a page when usually it's like three pages of drama but I think the author like just gave up writing it. it's like oh yeah Patrick's gonna kill them but you know Nancy just kicks him and it's the end of the story although that seems to be a common thing Nancy just kicking people and you know then she wins I guess it works everyone involved gathers at Nancy's house the next day except for Judd as he's still in hospital. He'll be okay though and he will be released in a day or so. It turns out that Patrick dumped the newspaper in Judd's wastebasket when he dropped off his car which is actually kind of smart. I guess Patrick was the only one with enough time to sit there and cut out letters for the notes. It's not like he had college work or football games to play. (laughs) All right I'm sorry Patrick that was mean but it's true. He set up the incident with the starter to throw suspicion off himself and he even bashed himself when they saw him after Don's room got trashed and robbed. This dude really is a piece of work. Nancy says, and boy, did I help him. He just followed me around and then whenever I'd go to investigate a clue he had dropped off for me, he'd be able to get into the places I just left. She smiled ruefully at Don. He kept pointing out how weird it was that you were on the scene so often. I never noticed that he was on the scene even more often. Well, Nancy, we noticed. Sometimes she's so daft. (laughs) Wendy apologizes for being such a brat and everyone forgives her the end of the book. Okay, this is I don't know how I feel. I mean, I like knowing a bit about Nancy's life in high school and it was I guess it was a good enough motive, this guy being insecure and wanting to take it out on everybody, but I feel like there was too many loose ends. Cecilia and Monica are way too chill about this. They're just like, oh, okay, cool, whatever. Like, we hated you in high school, Wendy, but you apologized, so we're friends now. So I guess they're the bigger person, but I wouldn't want to be friends with these people. It's like, keep high school in high school. I'm not friends with my high school friends anymore, and like, I don't think my life is any worse off for it I don't know I I really like the scene with Don and Nancy in like the tunnel of love amusement ride that was cool I'm gonna give this book a three I feel like all the books get a three it's like 
sometimes has a standout five and I guess there was like a one-star book in there, but yeah. Uh, There were no hookups, so the count stays at 62 with George at three, Ned, Nancy and Bess on four. And as for near-death experiences, I don't know, like I guess I can count the horn at one, but not really. Hmm. I'm going to leave it at zero near-death experiences, keeping our running total at 62. What did you guys think of this book? And also, I'm kind of offended. Like, why didn't anything happen to Nancy? Like, is her life not successful enough to warrant getting terrible things happen to her? Uh, Patrick only seemed to want to take her out because, you know, she was a detective and solved the, uh, the mystery rather. I don't know. This book, too many loose ends, too weird. (laughs) What did you think? Uh, let me know. Hello at nancydrewpodcast.com or follow me on Instagram at nancydrewpodcast. Again, thank you so much for listening, detective. Have a happy new year. Uh, this episode goes live on the 7th of January, I believe, I think. <laughs> um, thanks for listening and join me next time for case number 28, The Black Widow. Bye, detective.